Hello and welcome to Theoretically Theatrical. In this series, we peek behind the curtain and explore the world of performance. Today, we will be taking a look at the making of Communicable. You'll be hearing from myself about the writing and production of the piece, two of the actors, Alicia and Robert, about their creative process, and Katrina, a playwright and member of the audience, about her experience of the play. Communicable is designed with the COVID infection in mind, and so it's a radio play which can be experienced in a solitary way, but I also wanted the audience to feel involved in the piece. So it is one where you are encouraged to walk around and take on the uh, the role of the main character, uh, Dr. Snow. So the story is about uh, an epidemiologist trying to find the cause of an infection that has become an epidemic in a city. And does he succeed? It depends on you, really, the audience member. So Dr. Snow may succeed or Dr. Snow may fail. It all depends on how well you pay attention to the clues you're given. So how does that work? As you go through the story, you will meet different characters, listen in on different conversations, interact with different people, and they will give you information, some of which may be true facts, some of which may be things they think are true, but are misleading. And some people might be trying deliberately to mislead you. So it's up to the player or the, 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 the main, the main character to try and parse out which, which is which in a, in a very detective-like way. But surely the outcome is the outcome anyway. No, uh, there are several different outcomes depending on the choices you make during the play. So as the one who has downloaded, who is going through the experience, you will throughout the play be asked to make decisions by selecting different chapters. If you want to go one way, you would say, select chapter 1A. And if you wanted to go a different way, you would select chapter 1B. And depending on your choices, you'll get different information. So you might miss a clue depending on which way you go, but you'll get one that somebody else might not. And at the end of the story, you're given a final choice to give one of three diagnoses, two of which are wrong, one of which is right. It sounds almost like a a maze. A bit, yeah. So what led you to being interested in doing a, a project like this in the first place? I have had a really, a love of radio for a very long time. I listened to BBC radio plays when I was a lot younger and uh, I still listen to them today. Radio plays are something that you can listen to, but they're not necessarily stopping you from getting on with whatever else you're doing. Whereas with, when you're watching telly, you kind of have to watch telly if to get the whole story. So radio plays have this unique ability to be companionable. They can be with you and you can enjoy the story, but you don't necessarily have to give them your whole attention. An interactive radio play was something that was a relatively new idea. And that came about slowly over through the media. I consumed, I found some really interesting uh, things that I thought, oh, I could really use that. So for instance, learning about rights and sites um, and punch drunk theatre, those were really interesting uh, practitioners that I'd never heard of before. So how did those examples um, inspire you? What was it that you took from them? I really enjoyed the way that the audience would come away with a feeling that they had 
had a unique experience the way they felt that they one that they felt they'd had a part in creating so mm. the audience is always a part of the show in in every production but interactive theater brings that to the forefront it re- it makes that the focus of the of the event were there some theoretical ideas that also influenced the way you developed this piece well i was very inspired by the work of Deirdre Hedden. Um, I really enjoyed the way that she used the, the act of motion to explore emotional themes and uh, relationships. And so... How does she do that? Well, uh, in one of her shows, 40 Walks, she went on 40 Walks with 40 friends. And they... They would choose the walk and they would show her. It was almost like being a tour guide. They would go around this walk. They'd be talking about whatever they were talking about and they would be taking her on this walk. It was a, it was a gift. It was a, a way of celebrating her 40th birthday. And it was a way of deepening relationships that she had. And she talks about how walking according to her and drawing on other theories, of course, so like Tim Ingold, the act of performing the same motion together can be incredibly uh, effective at deepening a bond. You're going through the same experiences, you're, going, you're seeing the same things, and you're sharing constantly. You're, you're falling into step and sync with the person. So incommunicable, um, is that a sharing experience or is it taking some thoughts from that that apply to a solo experience? For me, it's taking thoughts from interactive and walking theatre and applying them to radio, radio performances. I, because of the the rise of COVID-19, I wanted to produce an experience that the audience could have individually on their own. Uh, but I wanted them to, in a way, I wanted to try and capture that very unique feeling that I had when I was younger, which was playing and listening to a story at the same time. Mm. And so I wanted to give the audience member a role. I wanted them to play while they were listening, like I used to do. Mm. So, yeah, so so it was this idea of you are Dr. Snow. Right, we're going on an adventure. Let's We're going to have fun. Great. Could you tell me a little bit about the writing process? Mm -hmm. So the writing process started with research, obviously, (laughs) Uh, but not just theoretical research. I also wanted to look into if I was going to write a play about uh, illness and contamination, I wanted to know a little bit more about that. So I I conducted conducted research. I, I, I read about historical pandemics and they're full of really interesting moments from history, things that seem absurd, but also really interesting from a storyteller's perspective. I looked at the Broad Street pump outbreak of cholera, and that was the primary inspiration for the story of Communicable. The ideas of a young epidemiologist trying to prove something uh, trying to working like a detective 
to uncover a mystery. That comes straight from the real-life Jon Snow, who uncovered the fact that cholera is waterborne and, and, and the ways that could be used to stop the spread and how that would save more lives. So coming up with a cure for cholera wasn't necessarily his goal. It was how to stop it. And I thought, in a way, that's more interesting than a medical drama for me, because he's he's running about, he's going from house to house, he's interviewing people. How else did you go about the writing process to bring all of that together into one coherent piece? Well, I made notes on things I definitely wanted to happen in the story. So I knew that I wanted certain characters to appear. Some of them are based on characters from history, such as Dr. Welch, who was the a leading figure in the 1918 outbreak of influenza. Um, so I, I definitely wanted a character like that to appear, an older, wiser doc. I wanted some kind of guide to be talking to the, to the listener the whole, almost the whole time. Somebody that was there for you. Uh, so that, uh, so that came, that turned into Scout, who's the ambulance coordinator. And then I took events from history that I thought were really striking. The, the fact that somebody in the 1918 epidemic was shot because they hadn't, they weren't complying with the regulations. The police officer panicked. These were events that I thought were really interesting. So I created a bullet point uh, list of things that I wanted to happen in the play. And then I started filling in the gaps. So I would put dialogue to these scenes. I would, uh, and I created a through line. And then I started almost dismantling it into a jigsaw puzzle because I wanted there to be different paths you could take. So I thought, right, if you go down this path, you'll interact with this character. If you go down this one, you'll come across this piece of evidence. So how did you go about recruiting the actors and how did you go about working with them and, and directing the piece? I was lucky enough to know a lot of the actors already. Uh, they are very talented performers that I have previously worked with. Two people came on board almost immediately. That was Alicia and Mark. And then they put me in touch with Robert. He was exactly what I was looking for. I was looking for somebody who uh, had a command of various accents. Uh, Alicia was playing uh, Shauna, the DJ. Oh, yes. And she has this amazing relatability to her voice that allows people to feel very comfortable with her. And I thought that was perfect for a more charismatic character. For me, I tend to like to write about people. And Shauna and Scout's initial clashing of methods and personalities leads to an interesting dynamic, which I think turns into an interesting friendship. The fourth actor that I recruited was uh, Ari, and she's an absolutely amazing uh, performer. Again, lovely, warm voice, but she has the ability to access this terrific emotional range in her voice, which was very important for the character of Ava. Of all the characters, goes through the most drastic changes. And she, I think, suffers a bereavement mm. and is very emotional and, and so on. So it's a, it's a piece that isn't just a straightforward mystery. There's a high degree of you know, tension, emotion. It's a kind of emotional roller coaster as well, isn't it, really? <laughs> Thank you. These characters, these, these moments, I think uh, they hopefully create motivation for the listener because it encourages them to try and get it right. If you to really try and listen to the piece to get the clues, 
and to become invested in the world. It's when reading about somebody dying, it can, you can feel slightly less connected because there's that amount of distance. When you're listening to someone dying or when you're listening to somebody grieving over somebody who's really ill, that's more effective because you're listening to another human, uh, their voice. You can, yeah, you can hear everything. And that's one of the reasons I think radio is incredibly good at accessing emotional responses in people. And there's a degree of practicality to this as well, because in normal times, I guess you would have workshops together and be physically present. But in this case, the whole thing was done remotely. So where were the actors and how did you manage that that kind of remote connection? Well, uh, the actors came from all over the place, which was great on, on one level. And I think rem- uh, that's also a bit of a gift from COVID that I could involve actors who were very far geographically away, some on different continents. Okay. Um, and we communicated mainly via video call. We started this process in a sort of relative, relative levels of familiarity with each other. And by the end, we all, I think everyone was gelling very well. But the whole thing was done remotely. So how did you run kind of workshops and rehearsals and so on? Well, uh, the wonders of modern technology were, uh, the, the first workshop where we were almost creating the characters, we were adding flesh to the bones of the script. That was done by a video call. Uh, and all of our rehearsals were done by video call as well. Everyone found a decent quality microphone to use. It was, it was very much a collaborative experience of producing this show. We all were involved in technology. We were all involved with recording because we all had to record our own pieces. There was no aspect of this piece apart from perhaps editing that the actors were not involved. And how is the recording done? Was that everybody at the same time or did they do it asynchronously? Asynchronously. Some sections could be recorded on their own. So Scout and Shauna have long uh, parts of the script where they're, they're the only ones talking. They're talking to Dr. Snow, but they are the only ones talking. Yeah. So we could record those separately. But there were sections where it would sound clunky if the actors weren't talking to each other. So... We set up, uh, we would set up calls and that was that. People would send you the recordings Mm -hmm. and tell me a little bit about the technological side of this then, because, you know, it's, it's a complex piece of of work in that sense as well, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It was made a lot easier by the fact that I've been practicing. I obviously I edit all episodes of the podcast. Uh, so I took a lot of time to learn how to work with audio clips and how to use the editing software. Um, it was still challenging. This was the first radio play I'd edited together. So I had to make sure that all of the audio sounded natural when people were talking to each other. I had to, even though we'd recorded it together, I still had to, when I was cutting it together, make sure it sounded as natural as I possibly could. Um, there was also sound effects to be found and uh, and put in. It was not an inconsiderable challenge uh, for me. Was sound editing and recording something that you'd learned about on the course and then developed and applied mm-hmm. to this project? I did, yes. Um, I learned how to edit audio uh, audio during, during the course with one particular module. So uh, not only was I applying theory, 
that I'd learned on the course, I was also able to implement some of the techniques I'd learned on the course. And there's quite a developed soundscape, isn't there? So you use music to punctuate, you use a, a range of sound effects, um, some of which are pre-recorded, of, of which I think the storms and so on were actually recorded live. Um, and then you produce some songs. I worked with uh, my band, Alice's Disobedient Children, uh, to produce three cover songs and one theme that would uh, operate throughout the piece. And in addition to that, I was able to work with Saving Emily, uh, who are another uh, indie band, and they're absolutely fabulous. And they very kindly let me use uh, a new version of one of their songs in the piece. And then overall, you created this quite complex soundscape mm. that then gives a whole feel to the piece and, mm. and actually integrates, I guess, um, between the dialogue. Mm. The music was an incredibly important part of the soundscape. It was important that the, sa- that the sounds pushed the listener along, that they kept, they kept the pace moving. And on top of that, sound effects that we added in to make the, the world feel a little bit more real uh, so that it didn't feel sterile when you were listening. It, it, I didn't want you to feel like you were listening to actors recording their lines in little booths and cupboards. I wanted the listener to feel like they were in this strange situation. Yeah. So the music added to that, the sound effects added to that, all of it, it made it, I think it made it all feel like a, a more complete performance. The main theme uh, for Communicable was written to mimic a walking pace. Uh, so there's a very prominent drum beat to almost encourage the audience to move, to walk at that pace. How did you go about editing? You must have edited quite a lot out and edited other things in. How did you go through that process and what were your key decisions? I think that was, for me, that was a very difficult process. Uh, cutting anything can feel like you're... <laughs> the audience won't get the whole picture, especially with a mystery, uh, because you want to give them as many clues and hints as you can. But because of the nature of the project, because time is limited, I had to make decisions about things that wouldn't work, things that just didn't didn't fit. So quite a few of the scenes were cut down. Uh, and I think in the end, it was the right thing to do. I think it created a more streamlined approach. I had to limit the number of musical pieces that we had. We originally had a, the, the musical interludes were a lot longer because I just was enjoying the song so much and I thought people would enjoy listening to the songs. And they might have, but I think there's a, there's a line between tedium as well to be avoided. And by shortening the length of the musical pieces, it kept everything going a bit more fluidly. But interestingly enough, there was a scene that I cut and then put back in at the recommendation of my mentor. And that was uh, in the, the first decision that the audience member is can make, that they hear screaming and they get the choice, do you go and investigate the screaming or do you keep going? Um, and there are various pros and cons to that decision, which they're told. Originally, I wanted to give the audience a choice of do you go and investigate or not, but I thought mm, that's that, that that might waste time. And also, I don't know if that's 
how effective that would be. But my mentor uh, said, no, I think you should keep that in there. You should, um, you should give them that option. It's an early, it's an early scene that might, depending on which way they go, could really hammer home the fact that this situation is getting serious. And it also establishes early on the element that they get choices. So that was a, a moment of, oddly enough, where something I thought I had to cut was kept, was put back in. Does performing for radio differ from other acting jobs you've had? Yes. <laughs> yes, it certainly did. It's usually physical acting that I do. It's more difficult, I think, to portray a character purely through voice without any physicality and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was challenging. It was definitely challenging and, and different to what I'm used to doing. Mm-hmm. Well, you did it really well. I really wouldn't have guessed that it was your 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 first time doing something major or or big in that area. So, well done. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Obviously, uh, what you do with your voice is important, regardless of the job. But mm-hmm. when you only have that to rely on, there's so much more that has to go into it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you when you can't convey something through just like a subtle look or something like that, you need to. You need to think a lot more about it, and I think that's something that, because radio is not something I've ever done before, and mm. um, apart from like little snippets for mm. uh, things, it, it, I've never done something on this scale before, mm. or I've had to consider such a wide range of emotions over like kind of uh, a long piece. It was a lot more difficult to convey what you wanted to convey mm-hmm. um, over like when you're just using your voice. Yeah, yeah. It's, it makes you really aware of how much you use your hands or your, 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 everything about your body to communicate. So it's not, so you almost have to think about ways to make up for that. Yes, 100%. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How did you feel about remote rehearsals? Because obviously everything had to be remote for, for COVID and all that. I kind of got used, gotten used to that over Mm -hmm. the last, Six or eight months. Uh, uh, the theatre company that I work with, we've done a couple of um, play readings over Zoom. Mm. Um, I, I've rehearsed other uh, projects that I'm involved with over Zoom, and again, it's it's different and it's challenging um, because you don't have that the intimacy and the physicality where mm. you can bounce off of other people as easily. Mm. But I think once I get into the swing of it, it didn't feel too difficult. Mm. Well, I, I've, I've, I've rehearsed something with a completely, I was going to say strange cast, <laughs> cast, of, cast of strangers. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it, it took a wee while to build up rapport. Mm-hmm. Whereas with, with, like, you knew Ari, mm-hmm. you knew Mark and Alicia, I knew Mark and Alicia. Mm-hmm. So there was like, everybody had a connection to someone else already, mm-hmm. um, which definitely helped. Not something I'd ever done before. Mm. Um, and I was concerned that it was going to be almost detrimental, if that makes sense. Like, because mm-hmm. you're not there, you don't have as much energy to bounce off of. Mm-hmm. But it, I think it aided so much, um, considering like, it allowed you not only to get people from like entirely different areas, mm-hmm. but it, like, we wouldn't didn't have to worry as much about like getting a rehearsal space and mm-hmm. the, 
there wasn't as many things holding us back from rehearsal. If it meant someone couldn't do, like, a certain day, we could just, like, switch it and you didn't have to, like, it wasn't like we lost out mm. um, on a rehearsal space or anything like that. We didn't have to, obviously, you have to consider people's, like, schedules, but it wasn't as big of a problem, mm-hmm. which I think was beneficial. In a similar vein, what was it like recording remotely? I suppose it's sort of like film work. It, it was okay because if I didn't like something, I could I always had another take. <laughs> true, true. Um, so, so that's always reassuring, <laughs> <laughs> uh, having that wee safety net. Mm. Um, but again, sometimes I feel as if that takes away from the performance because you've not got those, you're not on tenterhooks and, and as focused. Mm-hmm. as if it's a, a live one-off performance it was weird it was different from anything I've ever done before apart from I'd done like little things before where I was recording just little snippets of audio by myself but mm-hmm. there was so much where there was so much responsibility that I could just like record whenever I wanted and I think to mm-hmm. an extent that it allowed for a better performance because it meant mm-hmm. I didn't have to be like, oh, okay, so I need to act right now, even if I'm not feeling like particularly in character or don't have the right amount of energy. I could do it whenever mm-hmm. I felt was the best time to do it. Yeah. Um, and it also helped a lot considering that was how the story was. Like everyone <laughs> was apart from each other. Yeah. There was times where it caused issues, but mm. they were problems that would have happened if we were actually all talking on a radio anyway. <laughs> so it kind of it worked to get the right kind of vibe. It's difficult to not be self-aware mm. when you're sitting on your own recording and acting mm. to a computer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a definite skill set involved mm. that I, I would have to work on repeatedly to, to, to make it become second nature. You were playing Shauna, who is a radio DJ. So did fiddling with the actual technology help you get into character? <laughs> Definitely. I had zero clue about any technology stuff. Um, so like sitting, trying to figure out and like things that I thought, oh, this would make sense for character, like for a character work or like just how she would say things. I was like, no, that doesn't make sense now that I've had to sit and like actually work out how to <laughs> record things or how things work. Like it, it helped it for me to develop character as, mm. as well, like you were saying. One of the things that is similar for most types of acting is developing the character you're going to perform. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit about the process you went through with your two characters? I, I tend to read and then read again, then read again. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and find subtlety and nuance in the writing. Mm-hmm. And, and build a character from there. there. There will be certain words that kind of leap out at me that make me think of certain characteristics. Mm-hmm. A picture starts to emerge of what the character, what the persona is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll, I'll probably, or I'll usually sit and I'll write about my impressions of mm-hmm. what this person what, what they would wear mm-hmm. um, and try and create a bit of a backstory. Initially, I had not done nearly enough character development as I wanted, uh, as, as I 
later realized I should have when we first started the project. Because mm-hmm. I remember we did the first rehearsal and the way you were asking questions, but the character, I was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should have thought about that. Um, so I found that part of the rehearsal process to be instrumental in how I constructed the character. Because um, it was like, you were asking, like, how does your character react to these questions and stuff? I was like, uh, like this, like, just on the spot having to come up with things. Um, uh-huh. And honestly, I think, it, at least for me, it worked. Not that I would ever come to a rehearsal again underprepared. I didn't do it intentionally. Um, but it was having that kind of guidance from someone else was really beneficial, at least to begin with. Um, and then I spent a lot of time trying, I think, to work out who she was as a person. Um based off of because I think there was one offhand comment that I made during that like first rehearsal that not only does she care about people but she kind of wants to prove herself to other people and mm-hmm. I think that was instrumental to I said instrumental like two times then, <laughs> but that's how <laughs> that became really important to how she is as a person mm-hmm. I think um and her relationship to other people was also really really important to mm-hmm. her um especially with Scout that was <laughs> a big part of like <laughs> how I developed her character like almost that kind of playful competitiveness yes. um, like she wants to show off you know <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that helped develop her as well as um, that relationship I love how honestly you played her as well in that she's so upfront about how competitive she is <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you were there any things you found frustrating about the process uh, and in in the same question were there any things you particularly enjoyed about the process um i don't think there was anything that, that really frustrated me oh, grand <laughs> um, possibly the fact that that I wasn't able to use my physicality as much as I normally would. Mm. But that goes back to me being relatively inexperienced in voice work. Mm. Um, I, I'm used to using my physicality to influence a character. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was slightly frustrating, but then I adapted to it. Mm-hmm. Working with new technology was really frustrating. Mm. Um, I think uh, there are files that I sent to you that had so many pops and like like the audio was like playing about everywhere and I didn't even realize until after I'd sent it mm-hmm. um which was really quite frustrating um but it was beneficial at the same time because mm-hmm. it meant I was getting used to something that's probably going to be mm-hmm. very important at some point later on I probably I enjoyed messing around with my voice yeah um, and by the end of it, I enjoyed the fact that I was able to create a character, two, two entirely separate characters, mm. with my voice. Mm-hmm. They, they couldn't have sounded more different. They were, it, it, there was no confusion. You didn't think, oh, am, am I listening? who am I listening to right now? You knew that was Dr. Welsh and this is the official. There was no yeah. confusion. I think I really enjoyed the... Uh, remote rehearsals a lot more than I thought I was going to mm. um, especially during the pandemic when like 
there's your contact with other people is so limited and mm-hmm. um, it, it, it made like it made speaking to people a lot easier and mm-hmm. stuff um especially right now like people are they need almost kind of like a little push to do things yeah. um and if <laughs> like if it wasn't for like the weekly rehearsals I think a lot of the time people would have just been like I'll get to this I'll get to rehearsals and stuff I'll mm-hmm. get to uh, if it had just been like left to our own devices to record whenever sort of thing yeah. we wouldn't have had the same kind of product are there any things that you were proud of and were there things that you might if you had a chance that you would do differently I was surprisingly happy with the comedic aspects of the character mm-hmm. um there were definitely elements that I was like I did not expect that to work and it <laughs> did um which I was <laughs> I was kind of proud of I remember in rehearsals and I didn't expect to get any laughs because I was I was feeling really um down about all the comedic decisions I'd made because just nothing was working the way I wanted it to and you laughed and I was like okay so maybe I can <laughs> but in the same hand there are definitely a lot of things that I would go back and change in hindsight and listening to it in full in context I'm like there are things that I would have done differently mm. like that just maybe didn't hit the way I wanted them to mm-hmm. um but I'm so grateful for that experience to have been allowed to do kind of that kind of thing comedy and yeah. stuff. <laughs> it's been, it, it was an absolute pleasure working with you working with everyone it, it, I was Every rehearsal was a massive treat because I got to, it was just so much fun and everybody was working, was working hard, but seemed to be having fun as well. So it was, it's just been an absolute treat. The same as with every performance that I give, Mm -hmm. if I had the chance to do it again, I would rehearse more. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Doesn't matter how much you rehearse, I always wish I'd rehearsed more. Yep, 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 yep. That's legitimate. (laughs) And... The, the fact that from a group of totally disparate people who didn't all know each other well at the beginning, we were able to create something that worked really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm pretty proud of that too. <laughs> yeah. It was fun and it was uplifting. And I think like everyone, kind of mental health depleted a lot during all of this. So having that one thing to like look forward to mm. and like work towards every week was it, it was a nice little kind of yeah, boost, you know. <laughs> we, I, oh, I get to go and play with my friends essentially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you very much for answering my questions. <laughs> oh, thank you for asking. No worries at all, Rosie. Hello, uh, and thank you for speaking to me today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Um, So I have a few questions about Communicable and your experience with it. Um, Mm -hmm. Where did you decide to walk for this or did you did you walk at all during the piece? Well, if I'm going to be completely honest, um, I'd forgotten that you told me that it was meant to be walking theatre. <laughs> um, and I thought, ooh, new podcast episode, but it's also part of Brody's dissertation. Cool. So I just was sitting there on my laptop listening and I went, hang on a minute. <laughs> I'm meant to be walking about. And that was no fault of yours. That was just me being forgetful. Um, so then sub- subsequently, I kind of I paused it. Um, and then I went and set it up uh, so that I was walking on my treadmill instead. Uh-huh. Um, so I was actually doing it, from, doing it properly. Um, Fantastic. And yeah, so, so I basically I didn't really go 
uh, anywhere in particular. Um, mm-hmm. I just went on my trip. Well, this this whole piece was inspired quite a bit by uh, the app Zombies Run, which is a tool designed to help more people like us cope with exercise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so how did you find the audience choice aspect? Were you able to um, select chapters or did you have any problems with that? Um, nope. That again, uh, I didn't have any problem with that. It was very clear um where i had to click and things mm. and um I, li- I liked the the voice i believe it was ari yes. uh, who did the voice for that um it, so it felt it still felt in the world it didn't kind of take you out of it um to kind of be like um you know when you choose your own adventure you kind of get taken out of the story where it's the bit in bold that says turn to this page mm. um but in this because you had ari doing that voice it meant that it you still felt in that world while making that choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I must say that I, I liked the choices that were given. Like uh, the, mm. the first one, whether it was, uh, I think it was to, to help or to keep walking, mm. I, I think. Yes. Um, I liked that where it's kind of, because I, cause, uh, I saw that kind of on the, on the menu before I started um, mm-hmm. the play and I'm thinking to myself am I going to be you know am I going to be nice and helpful or am I going to be mean and just keep walking and then in the event I was like nah, I'm gonna I'm just gonna keep walking I'm just gonna be mean I'm just- <laughs> well here's the thing it's it's that is on the surface of it it looks like a moral choice but it's more there's more com- I like to think there's more complexity to it than are you going to oh, be a dick or are you going to help no, it, it, exactly that that was the thing because uh, without any context I looked at that choice and I thought mm, yes I'm probably hopefully not going to be a dick like I'd like to be a nice person but mm. then when it came down to it it seemed much safer to if you looked at it morally be a dick and just keep going because it meant that you were then okay and could continue with your mission exactly yeah that's almost exactly the point (laughs) did you feel connected to dr snow i I did i mean there there was definitely points where i felt connected to him in the sense that um i I just got the impression that he was very much like what on earth is going on (laughs) um and i was uh, not not in a bad way um yeah i sometimes was a bit like whoa okay because i wasn't sure where obviously um, but i wasn't sure where the narrative was going and and because it was so interactive in the sense that, you know, I was being told things and I was hearing, um, like the radio and stuff. Mm. Um, and because I, because it, because it wasn't a narrative that, you know, I, I could try and guess what was happening. It was very much happening with a sense of immediacy because it was that kind of interactive narrative mm. that meant that, um, there was very much a sense of, well, what's going to happen now? Like, you know, you'd make a choice and then immediately you'd be thinking, is that the right? Ch- mm, I don't know. Like this sounds mm. a bit spooky. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think I think yeah, I identified with Doctor Snow in the sense that you know how you have that character who is the stand-in for the audience in mm-hmm. uh, the story or whatever. Yeah, uh, I feel like Doctor Snow is good a good um, o- audience uh, stand-in version of that. I guess the past in which um, was it Fergus? Was that the kid's name? Fergus who died? Yes. Yes. Um, when, when Fergus, um, had, uh, had sadly died and, um, you know, everyone was mourning his death and things, I, I wanted to kind of stop and just kind of, you know, I, it felt very rude to keep, to keep walking on my treadmill, just like, you know, um, Ari was doing such an excellent job with, you know, the, the mourning. Mm. And I'm just like, do, 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 on the treadmill. <laughs> I need to stop and, you know, take this in properly, but I just kept going. I was like, do, do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a so, so, um, that was my own, um, 
that was my own fault. Had I not been on a treadmill, had I just kind of been walking in, um, kind of in a space, mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't a treadmill that was just, that would just keep going, uh, I feel that I definitely would have. I'm also fascinated that your Dr. Snow was male. Yeah. Uh, you... I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's like, um, what's the word? Internalized sexism or something. But... <laughs> I I, yeah, for some reason, <laughs> Dr. Snow was male. No, that's, I that's fine. That's a, that, it's it's interesting because um, uh, I wrote the character as gender neutral so that mm-hmm. the audience conduitness. If it, say if somebody was was female and listening, they wouldn't feel jarred out of the experience by constantly being referred to as a, a, a male. Sure. I mean, I think honestly, probably the reason that I thought of my Dr. Snow as being male is because I do have. Um, a character who is a doctor who is male. And so immediately hearing doctor, I was thinking, oh, that guy, um, yeah. initially. Mm-hmm. And that meant that my doctor Snow ended up being male purely because of that. The, some of the choices were, had to do with people's lives and that sort of thing. So did you have any feelings of responsibility? Uh, def- definitely. I mean, um, p- particularly when, when it came to things like, Actually, I mean, that, coming back to that, that first choice, mm-hmm. um, about, you know, do, do you kind of take that detour and see, you know, go towards the scary noises? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or do you keep walking? And there was part of me that's going, okay, Dr. Snow has presumably taken a Hippocratic oath mm-hmm. and therefore has a duty to help people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then at the same time, there was, there was part of me that was going, Yes, but, you know, in this situation, mm. I might have a Hippocratic Oath at the same time. If I'm going to, you know, get um, the samples to the location, yeah. um, I should not be doing detours because I have to focus on that objective. Did you try and solve the case? Honestly, pretty much the whole time I was thinking, okay, what is this? What is this thing? You know, what, how, um, e- even, even though obviously, I guess you'd be thinking about it. In, in character, there's also just me as me, kind of thinking, where are we going with this? You know, <laughs> um, what, what, um, what sort of pathogen or virus or whatever, like, what is it that's causing, you know, these symptoms and why is it doing it in these particular kind of, what's the version I'm looking for? Uh, var- variances, I guess, like how it wouldn't affect one side of the street, but the other side of the street was, but that sort of thing. Yes. So I was trying to, I was trying to, I was thinking, you know, um, what what sort of thing is it that would cause that sort of a difference? When I came to the ending, mm-hmm. having got to this point, I was kind of like, well, it's obviously this click. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I mean, that being said, even though I was going, oh, that's obvious, part of me was kind of like, but what would happen if I clicked one of the other ones just to, just to see what the result would be? I can ask you the big question, which is how did you feel about the ending you got and did that I guess how did that make the the narrative as a whole feel to you I think with, with the ending I got um uh should, do I say which ending I yes got? please do okay uh I chose uh Waterborne ah fantastic uh and uh and I was thinking to myself you know that, oh, as I said uh, oh this is obvious so this is the one I'm going for mm-hmm. and and then to be told that, you know, I'd uh, solved it and that this was the case and find, oh, what was that thing that was stuck in the, um, 
in the in the in the system was it? It, it was a dead animal of some it. description. <laughs> um, but also there was a sense of um, a sense of satisfaction in the sense that oh my goodness, I, I picked the right answer. Now, narratively, uh, I think that it, it made well. The reason I chose that ending is because for me, narratively, it made the most sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I'm definitely planning to go back, listen to it again and see what happens if I were to choose a different ending and see what that would do with narrative. Ooh, I, I, I hope you don't hate me when you listen to the other endings. <laughs> I must, uh, I'm, I'm curious now. <laughs> they're, they're, they get dark. <laughs> oh man, what, what you, you mean I chose the happy ending? I just sound like me. Props, major props to not only yourself, but also all of your, um, your cast Aww. for being able to get everything recorded in as as the adverts are saying us saying to us such difficult time even though it was meant to be a character and even though it was meant to be no folksy mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it was kind of going how the flip did they record this <laughs> i thought that it was very very cleverly done oh. uh, and i really enjoyed it and it made me think you know it's not something that i would ordinarily do mm-hmm. uh walking kind of theater promenade type stuff and mm-hmm. um, i'm i'm so I would say I'm a staunch traditionalist. I'm not kind of like, you know, um, everything has to be on a stage. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't, if I was given a choice, I wouldn't normally go for a piece of theatre, you know, where you've got to walk about and listen to stuff. Mm-hmm. But having done this piece, I'm thinking, all right, wh- where's more of this? <laughs> I'd be really interested to um, to not only replay this one and choose the evil endings, haha, but... <laughs> But also um, to try out, um, see if there's kind of other other ones out there as well, and kind of look into this uh, genre. Thank you so much, mate. It's been it, thank you for chatting about this. Oh yeah, no problem. I really enjoyed it. Having gone through this really quite complex process and made this um, made this lovely outcome, where does that take you next? What do you take from this experience that um, influences your next phase of your practice? It's been a really fun experience uh, and a really enlightening experience working with such enthusiastic and uh, and talented actors has really inspired me to keep pushing down this line of working in radio and audio because I think I'm only starting to see the potential that they have Uh, so I hope that I can continue to create work for my podcast I hope that I can work on more plays, maybe plays that other people have written. I want to keep trying to create experiences that recapture that feeling of being quite young and having a lot of fun as you listen to a story.